0: Welcome to the Peaceful Power Podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Clausen, and today I have Maya Toll back on with us. She is an author of the best-selling and award-winning Wild Wisdom series. So she wrote the Illustrated Herbiary, the Illustrated Bestiary, and the Illustrated Crystallary. She also has a line of puzzles and oracle decks. Um, She has a shop in both Asheville, North Carolina, and Philadelphia. So welcome to the show, Maya. You are, uh, I'm so excited to have you back on.
1: I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for having me again.
0: Yeah. So I think the first time we talked, your first
1: book, I think, was
0: just in the process of, um, you know, hitting the shelves. So I would love to kind of get a little um, touch point of where you've been the last few years and kind of how your life might
1: have shifted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Wow. You know, it's amazing. It feels, it feels like yesterday and so long ago, both at the same time. Um, so... The illustrated crystallary um, at the time that it was written was a standalone book, but I've always been interested in the three ancient medicine kingdoms, animal, vegetable, mineral. And so after I did the illustrated herbiary and it was like so, so popular and like feeding people in a way that they really seemed to need to be fed, um, I proposed to my publisher that we kind of complete the the threesome and do animals and minerals. So um, then the bestiary came out and then the crystallary. uh, And then uh, one more in one month about um, the latest book, which is the the conclusion of the series. The Wild Wisdom Companion comes out and it shows you how to use the energies of animal, vegetable, mineral, on the wheel of the year. So it gets you kind of in sync with the seasons and how to thread all this together to create a sacred practice for yourself.
0: I love it. Yes. I've already pre-ordered that one and I'm so excited to have that, uh, to kind of complete the journey. So, um, when you have those books, so you're, you know, if, if anyone, um, isn't familiar with them, you know, you have different, you know, animals or different herbs and crystals in there. Uh, Was that kind of an intuitive process of how you picked what was going to go in the books or how did that kind of come to be?
1: It was very intuitive. So I, when I sat down to write the Herbiary, I tried to make all these big plans. Like I analyzed the tarot deck and I looked at a bunch of Oracle decks and was trying to kind of divide the herbs into um, sweets that matched the, um, the elements Um, actually, I guess I should say suits because that would match the tarot deck. And so I was looking like, can I put them into uh, fire, water, air, earth? I came up with all these schemes, you know, and- In the end, all of them felt tortured. Like Mm. All of them felt like I was creating these very stiff and rigid boxes and then trying to put something that didn't want to be stiff and rigid in. So in the end, what I ended up doing was I would sit down in front of the computer. I would put my fingers on the keyboard and I would say, who wants to be in the book today? Mm -hmm. And the first herb or crystal or uh, animal that popped into my mind got put in the book. And so it was a very intuitive process Um, and it was interesting because I ended up having critters and stones and herbs appear that I never would have, never would have thought of. Uh, I'd be like, okay, so what are you doing here? And I would just type whatever came into my head, you know, like, what are you doing here? What's your message? And I would just type it. Wow. And from there, I would then have to double back and, and do research on some of these things. Like for instance, um, a skink, which is a kind of little lizard uh, appeared in the bestiary. And I'm like a skink. I've never heard of a skink. I'm Like, what are you? You know? And I just kind of typed up what, what I got. And then I went back and researched wow. and, learned about like the biology of it and watched videos and looked at pictures and looked for stories from various cultures and tried to get a feel for it. And then I applied that knowledge to kind of that intuitive download and buffed and polished it into something that, you know, made sense with the the intellectual knowledge about the the animal, vegetable or mineral. So it was a really fun process. Um like sometimes a confusing process. Sometimes I would type something and i like, what does this even mean? Um, oh, but, that's so cool. <laughs> but it created a really interesting and, and I think different kind of book. Yeah. And if people are listening, they're like, wow, I
0: mean, you'd really trust your intuition and maybe they're not quite there. Like, are there any tips for people to maybe dive deeper into their own intuitive process?
1: Well, I was going to save that for that exercise at the end. Oh, perfect. Why don't we, why don't we save that? And And we'll circle that on a homework assignment. I love
0: that. Yes. Okay. Well then I would love to know kind of about this, the next book that's coming out, you know, in your wild wisdom series. Um, What is that about? And, you know, who
1: is that book going to be for? So the next book takes you through a year. And it talks about the energetics of each season. So energetics is a concept that that I know from herbalism. Um, Other people might be familiar with it through other channels. But the idea is that energies can, can be defined by how they behave in the world. So are they rising or are they falling? Are they moving or are they still, are they hot or are they cold? And so I applied this concept to the seasons um, and really thought about, you know, as we go through each season, what are the energetics of the season? Like, are we feeling uplifted? Are we feeling kind of dragged down? Are we feeling hot or cold? Is it a time of stillness or a time of movement? And so I, I did a deep dive into each season and then specifically talked about different animals, vegetables, and minerals that can support you during that time, as well as, um, some writing exercises and some rituals. And just like the books be- before they come, it comes with Oracle cards. Mm-hmm. So at the end of each season, I chose three archetypes that, um, really get the flavor of the season and did little oracles the same way I did them for, for the previous books. Um, and those will, will be a deck of cards like they were for the previous books in the back of the book.
0: Yay. I cannot wait. (laughs) So I would love to know, like, so I, you know, I'm an Ayurvedic wellness counselor and seasons are a big part of, you know, seasonal living, um, from that kind of Ayurvedic elements and the earth and the practices we do. And now from, you know, your standpoint, how, how does that look? What does seasonal living, um, kind of mean to you?
1: You know, I think what's interesting is I've been trained through herbalism in some Ayurveda, in some traditional Chinese medicine, also in in Western um, herbalism. And one of my primary teachers uh, was a a Cherokee medicine man. So, you know, I've seen this kind of through a number of different cultures, and what I find for myself is that there can be um, within the traditional ways of doing things a rigidity, you know, mm. only eat these foods, only do this, only wear this color that um, really doesn't suit my Gemini nature. <laughs> so I have found for myself a much flowier um, way into this. And a lot of that is back to the, the concept of trusting your own intuition. I mean, if you think, think about the seasons, they don't flow smoothly. You know, we start to get into this cool weather at the end of summer, the wind can pick up and then a hurricane blows through and all of a sudden, you know, it's wet and humid again. Mm-hmm. Um, so this idea that we're kind of rigidly in one place has never really sat well with me. It feels more like, you know, we kind of gently swim in and then we do the backstroke a little bit and then we swim forward. And um, so getting in touch with your sense of the energetics of the moment allows you to kind of ease in and play. Like for instance, um, with people who follow a more pagan wheel of the year, there are set dates for certain holidays. For instance, Imilk, which is set date. Most calendars say February 1st, some say February 2nd. Um, you know, that's become the set set moment on the calendar. But what it was traditionally was when the first ewes were, were born. So when mm. the sheep had their babies. Mm. So if you don't live on a farm, then you have this random calendar day, but it's disconnected now from what was going on in the natural world mm. that originally like marked the beginning of that season. So we need to feel into it for ourselves. You know, If you get to the beginning of February and you're like, nothing feels like it's shifting right now, everything still feels like deep winter. And still and calm and cold and stagnant, nothing is shifting. Well, then we're not there yet. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, by understanding the energetics, you can kind of ride those currents and feel into when those shifts are actually happening for you and for the you know the climate and culture you're living in. Um, if everyone is still not wanting to go out and there's snow on the ground and, you know, people are just cozied up with hot chocolate and their seed catalogs, then it's not time yet. Who cares what the calendar says? Mm. Yes. Um, right. So my hope with this book is to really empower people to understand the energetics of the season so that they can, you know, ride the waves a little bit more. Oh
0: yeah. I grew up on a farm. My dad's a farmer. And so that's very much, I mean, I'm used to living like that because obviously you can't go out. He can't plant, you know, if the calendar says it's time to plant, but it, the ground is still frozen. I'm in Minnesota. So he can't go out there and do that. And so, and the same with harvesting, you know, like your calendar might be like some years it might be in September, others October, and, you know, other years you're trying to get it in November, you know, just depending on the whole seasons and connecting it all together. So it's something that I definitely grew up with seeing and witnessing. And um, I think. That's also something, it can, I mean, confusing on social media because some people, you know, again, being in Minnesota, we have, we're usually the last to kind of come out of that winter, but you might see friends, you know, in other States and they're, they're already well into spring, you know? And so just trying to say, okay, what is it where I'm living and not just kind of, I guess, going into that social media or, and
1: most people are feeling this, but I'm feeling this. Exactly you know? And so like these kind of holiday greetings, you know, happy llamas. I'm like, okay, well, llamas is when the grain comes in and I'm still driving around here and the fields are full of grain. It's not being harvested yet. Yeah. It's yeah. not llamas. Yeah. Um, thank you for answering that. Cause I've had those
0: questions too, on some of them, like, well, that's not really when farmers are doing that. <laughs> right.
1: Right. And so, you know, I think that first of all, This is based on the Celtic calendar and that region of the world is really moderate, like temperature wise. Um, So, you know, some of these dates are close to correct Mm
0: -hmm. um,
1: if you happen to live in those regions of the world, but we don't, most of us. Um, So like that throws it off right away. Like we're just, we're not as, as temperate. Mm-hmm. As you know, those kind of islandy um, places, like Ireland, doesn't usually get deep freezes, um, so it's just a whole different, a whole different climate. So I think that you know, there's that piece of it, um, and then there's just the the desire for those systems you know, that that I talked about in the beginning where I was trying to like put the cards into these boxes and it wasn't working. Mm -hmm. You know, there's this desire to divide the wheel of the year into very equal pie pieces. And those pie pieces just are not the same every year. Mm -hmm. Um, So like back in the time before calendars, people weren't quite so worried about how it looked kind of mathematically or geometrically perfect when they drew it. You know what I mean? Like, it was more like, okay, now's the time that we're bringing the harvest in, we're bringing the grain in, so we're making the first loaves of bread. Let's have a party because we're, we're eating through the winter. Phew, great. You know, we've got grain stores. Yay. <laughs> um, like, there was a reason for these celebrations. Yeah. Um, and so, what I do love about it is that I think that for people who are living um, disconnected from the landscape, it gives them a reminder, Mm -hmm. right? It it gives you some marker like, oh, farmers somewhere are bringing in their grain and that's important for us to eat. And I think that, you know, in a world that buys their groceries from the supermarket wrapped in plastic, um, that's a super good reminder. So it's not that I'm totally against it, but it just can feel out of sync with your body and with the outdoors, if you, you know, are interacting with the outdoors. And so I think giving people permission to be a little looser is important.
0: Mm.
1: Yes. I love
0: that. And that again, connects to that intuition and just kind of learning to trust it. So Yay. Stay tuned for the challenge so we can get (laughs) deeper in there. I love it. So since we're kind of approaching the the fall season now, are there any rituals or anything that you really like to do to kind of honor that shift in the seasons, um, in your own
1: personal life? So I don't tend to do anything the same way twice. Mm -hmm. Um, like I don't have rituals that I do every year over and over again in exactly the same way. I have concepts that turn into kind of yearly rituals, if that makes any sense. Yeah. So like one of my favorite concepts at this time of year is closing the garden. Mm. Um, And when I studied in Ireland, this was, you know, kind of an important moment. My teacher used to say that um, you could harvest up to Samhain, which is a Celtic holiday and I was in Ireland. So, you know, that kind of synced up, which Samhain is the, um, not the equivalent of Halloween, but it's like that same time of year. Um, and then after Samhain, you have to leave everything and everything that you haven't harvested in the fields for the fairies. Hmm. And what I love about this is to me, it's a really, um, lovely reminder that we are not the only critters that need to, to partake of the harvest you know that there are foxes and mice and squirrels and robins who all need to have a little something put away for the winter too and that if we scrape every last berry off of every last bush we're like not being good community members with the larger with the larger world so i love this idea that like you bring in what you can until a certain date and then you close the garden. And um, my teacher would, would give the garden milk and whiskey and honey, tiny, mm-hmm. tiny little little bits <laughs> that um, <laughs> she'd pour usually under, under the hawthorn tree that lived in her garden. Mm-hmm. Um, I have found that putting honey in the garden creates anthills. And so <laughs> I have stop doing that. Um, I'm not sure. I'm not sure why that didn't happen to her. Um, but you know, this idea of doing something to really thank the garden. mm -hmm. And so that can be like reinterpreted in all sorts of modern ways. I mean, you know, you could thank the garden by giving it a little bird bath or a little sculpture, um, you know, or by doing, a libation of fresh manure. (laughs) You know what I mean? Like, I think that sometimes um, we say, oh, well, this was what was done traditionally, or this is what my teacher did and and we don't want to touch it. But again, I believe in like being way flowier with these things. The idea is to show gratitude and appreciation. Mm. So, so how do you do that? It changes every year. Yes. Oh yes. That's exactly how I like to do things as
0: well. Kind of that flowy. (laughs) And this year, my garden was I didn't get much. I have about two strawberries and four grape tomatoes. And that was it. Oh, wow. And I don't know what's going on. Um, like my zucchini, my cucumbers, they're flowering and then nothing grows. And I am like, huh. So I need to do some some energy rework over there because it just it, it was not fruitful.
1: <laughs> wow. Yeah. Really so. interesting. I also just wonder, you know, if you've been growing in the same place, obviously you know this if you're grew up on a farm, but I wonder if you need a fallow year. Just well, to let the soil regenerate.
0: We had a very, uh, we had a drought in June here uh, and it, it was so hot. I mean, that was the hot, one of the hottest Junes on record. So, and it's really almost full sun. So my guess is it really took a hit in June and just didn't recover. So, and my husband reworked the soil in a way that I'm not sure was great for it. So I told him, I'm like, I'll take care of it this year. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Well, Both. see, but this is also really interesting when you circle back to the idea of being flowy with your your rituals, right? So, like a ritual of thanking the garden for its abundance and doing libations of whiskey and milk doesn't seem really appropriate this yeah. year. Like yeah. it seems more actually like, you know, it needs some love, yeah, and some coddling instead of like a celebration of its abundance, right? So, Um, if you were doing a a garden closing ritual, um, you would shift it to what the garden needs instead of what you need. Like to me, this Mm -hmm. is the difference between spirituality and religion. Mm -hmm. You know, religion says, say this prayer at this time for this purpose. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think spirituality says, feel into the energies around you, figure out what, threads need tweaking and tweak them
0: yes yeah i mean that makes sense otherwise again like saying a prayer to be like thank you for being so bountiful doesn't make sense so <laughs> right right
1: yes you know so, so you just give it a little nudge so that um so that you're being real with yourself and with like that like you're being present with the energies that are around you yeah mm thank you. Thank you for that. I'm going to try that myself
0: with the garden. Oh, well, yeah. another thing that I know you have coming up and kind of that energy is, and I know this is your last year of running it is witch camp. And it's something that I took last year and loved it. Um, so I would love for you to share a little bit about, you know, maybe why you're stopping and you know, what is witch camp?
1: So witch camp is something I've been doing. I don't know whether it's seven or eight years now. Um, It's a program that has been really refined. It's gone through kind of an almost alchemical process over the years um, so that we have distilled it down to the lessons that really help people to connect with their intuitive selves, dance with the archetype of witch, whether you call yourself a witch or not, that the archetype is really juicy and interesting to work with. Begin to have an understanding of this wheel of the year I've been talking about, and the four elements in an experiential way, and so it's been fascinating to to try to do this as an online program. Mm-hmm. You know, creating something experiential uh, in an online format is it, it takes creativity. Mm -hmm. You know, um, you have to really always be mindful that you're not just giving people information, but directing them towards experiences. And I feel like over the years, uh, my team and I have really honed this down. So I'm, I'm super proud of this program. And, and like part of me is sad that it's winding up, but also it feels really good to kind of wind up when there's still so much energy behind it and people are still so excited to be doing it. It feels um, like that celebration of abundance, Mm. you know? Um, So this is the last year. And we had talked about this a little bit before we started recording. Um, A big part of the reason that it's the last year is because when I began using the word witch, it was not really being used in the common culture. And so I was defining it and I was allowing it to be this kind of loose, flowy, we're not sure what this word means, but you know, it's an interesting word to work with for um, the rituals and experiences and energies that we're dancing with. And so I, I felt like I was creating the word. Mm for myself and also for my students and, and my students were creating the word for themselves. And so even though it was sometimes an uncomfortable word, you know, it has so much historic baggage. How can it not be an uncomfortable word? Um, it still had a lot of flexibility, but has it's become more commonly used in the culture? I've noticed that it's, how do I say this? It's what's okay. This is really interesting because what it feels like sometimes is that it's developing rigidity, mm. but within the circles where people are using the word, which oftentimes there's still that fluidity, but people on the outside, like for instance, my book agent, my publishers, like people who don't really, um, identify with the word or use the word mm-hmm. have begun to see it in a rigid way. And so instead of, of, people saying to me, how do you use this word? Why are you using this word? And I get to define it for myself and for them, they're making assumptions about what I mean when I use the word, which, mm. and I'm finding that it's um, it's becoming uncomfortable Because a lot of the assumptions they make are based on, you know, what you see on Instagram, which is sometimes performative and is sometimes almost like Insta art, Mm -hmm. you know, like I'm going to create something beautiful as an act of creation and take a picture of it and put it up on Instagram, but it has nothing really to do with how I practice in my daily life. Mm -hmm. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, so you know, I just think that that some of the, the imagery, the, the darkness, the black nails, the happy llamas, you know, like all those types of things um, for people who are not inside the bubble have begun to define what the word witch means and begun to define me in ways that I'm not comfortable with. Like I'm not making meaning anymore. I'm having meaning put onto me. Um, so I'm going to kind of have a gentle, uh, <laughs> gentle release of the word in, in the public sphere. I mean, I think mm. I will always be witchy. I've never called myself a witch. I've always called myself witchy mm. and I will always, always be witchy. Um, but I, I need to disengage from like the I- identity stuff that's going on with it right now. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. I can see that,
0: and that's. Uh, do you think social media is probably one of the main factors, or that performative aspect, um, why it's kind of taken the turn it has?
1: You know, it's interesting. I uh, there are so many threads here because there there have been some papers written about how um, in the past couple hundred years the word witch has come up when women have tried to assert their power. So I find it fascinating that the word witch is on the rise at the same time as like the Me Too movement and um, even Black Lives Matter. Like I think that this like assertion of um, the underdog, mm-hmm. however you define that, whether that's queer culture or you know the culture of um gender or race or nationality, like in all these realms. Um, there has been an assertion of rights, like, hey, we're all human. We all we all should be treated with equal fairness. Mm-hmm. And so, as that has risen, I think this underdog word that still has power, right? Like, which is interesting, which is not a, a victim, even though she's been burned at the stake. Mm. So it's a really interesting archetype that I think has risen with these movements, this sense of like, you know um, I do it differently from the mainstream. I'm tired of being crushed under your heel, Mm. you know, and somehow in the way that we have tweaked and, and like, you know, if you're listening, please hear this clearly. I do not think that like the poor girls who were burned as witches in the Salem, in the Salem, witch trials felt powerful but in the way that we have tweaked the archetype in the modern century, um, somehow that like burning has become a resurrection. Like you can't mm-hmm. keep us down, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I think that you know, yeah, Instagram has definitely fed it, and TikTok and things like that. But um, it it also just segues with some cultural threads that are. Super important right now, um, and so you know, I, I think it's hard to it's hard to know, it's hard to know. And the other thing that I, I think is an interesting piece of this puzzle is there's there's a theory. There was a book that was written. I think it was like probably in the eighties or the nineties, um, called "The Alphabet Versus the Goddess," hmm. and the concept was that. Um, the development of language was part of the moving away from uh, the matriarchy that um, what what we think of as a more feminine way of um, expressing ideas is more pictorial and imagery based. And like a more young expression is language based. Mm. And so it's also fascinating to me that here we have the word witch on the rise in these very image-based social media formats. Um, so I just, I think it's, I, I don't know. I think there's lots of threads. I think it's kind of fascinating. Um, I don't think that there's any one answer, <laughs> yeah. yes. but I think there's
0: lots of juicy stuff to think about. For sure. Well, yeah. And then that kind of comes back to uh, the consumerism, you know, like you have to buy these things to do these practices or to be a witch, you have to have these tools. And then that whole piece kind of also, I feel has maybe coming up on the rise as well.
1: Yes. I I think there has been a lot of that. You know, my teacher in Ireland used to say, you use the tools until you don't need the tools anymore. So, you know, for me, the tools are, um, kind of, how do I say this? They can, they can serve slightly different functions. They can be reminders for yourself of how you want to move the energy, right? So the tools can kind of be like, oh, right, you know, when I burn incense, that clicks my brain into clearing energy mode, Mm -hmm. right? So it can be a personal trigger. Um, It can help something that is, exists purely on the intuitive plane to become in some way visible. You know, like if you're working with some kind of scrying and you're using stones or bones or sticks or tarot cards, um, you know, you're taking something invisible, your intuition and you're making it visible for yourself,
0: mm-hmm.
1: right? Yep. Um, and I think that they can all they can also be like jewelry on a ritual. And if you know me, you know, like I love a good necklace. Mm. Um, So this is not meant to be an insult. You know, I think that um, there's nothing wrong with making something beautiful, you know, with, with creating some beauty. All of those things though, are not necessary after you have gotten to the point where you trust your intuition enough that you can be like, you know what? I don't need to pull a tarot card. I know this to be true. Yes. Or I don't need to burn incense. I can flip that switch in my brain without that scent trigger. Hmm. So, you know, I think it's kind of both. And it's, um, we don't need those things, but they're kind of like training wheels. And so in the beginning, most people need something. Um, again, you know, if you want to make herb bundles from your garden, that's a a non-consumer way to do it. Like, like, you know, if you want to adorn your ritual, you can make a garland of oak leaves. Like there there are ways to do the same exact things that I was just talking about without the consumerism. Um, you know, it's, it, it, I think it's a tug. Yeah. Like that. that's a mass cultural thing, um, that desire for pretty things, mm-hmm. right?
0: yeah i mean even reflecting on my own journey i i did i mean the tools were helpful and i think it you know a little bit trial and error and then now i kind of know you know what works and what i actually need versus i'm like oh that's just you know really pretty and like do i actually really you know need this and is it going to help me in my practices um right. and that's where that you know your intuition again coming back to that because i'm you know a pretty intuitive person now and um you know, even the first, our first conversation, um, we talked about the word witch. And I remember being so like, oh, I'm going to air this episode. <laughs> and I'm like, people are going to be like, what? You know, like you're talking about witch and all these just like weird things, you know? And so I'm just like, okay, I'm going to air this. And then now I'm just like reflecting on that, you know, like I'm so much more comfortable. And like, this is kind of the world, I, you know, I've been living in, but I was just scared to kind of share it. Um, so that's kind of a fun little full circle moment for me, you know, having you back on and reflecting where I've been, you know, since I think it was maybe 2018 when I had you first on. So, well, and um, I love that because I think
1: that that's such a, um, cultural reflection as well. Yeah. You know, I think that that shift is not just you. I think that like when you aired that episode, it was not out in the common culture. It was a, it was a word that, you know, <sighs> it made you think of like Disney movies or (laughs) people who were um, like playing Dungeons and Dragons and not knowing the difference between the game and the reality.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um, So it's amazing. If you think like it's 2021, we're talking about three years. That's a big cultural shift in three years.
0: It is. It is. And I'm sure this last year, I mean, a lot of us had the, or the last probably year and a half, a lot of like self-reflection time. And, you know, maybe a lot of people were like, you know what, I actually really identify with this and I'm willing, I'm ready to share. So, you know, I'm sure that probably also maybe plays a factor in, you know, how things
1: are going quicker. Yes. And I I think also the, you know, the climate change issues that we're facing um, have put people in a position where they're like, okay, how, how can I, like, I I can't as an individual person um, create the rules and laws that will shift things that need to be shifted, but how can I at least come into relationship? How can I not feel so separate from the world around me so that I have some sense of like what's going on in humanity's place and role in this bigger picture? And so I I think that that has definitely, fed the movement as well.
0: Mm. Yes. Well, Maya, I would love for people to know um, where they can connect with you and where they can find all of your books and which camp.
1: Yeah. So everything's on my website, which is just Maya M a I a last name T O L -L L.com. Um, and, uh, the next book comes out, I think October 26th, (laughs) everything's a little, everything's a little shifty in the publishing world right now because supply chains are not great. Um, And Witch Camp starts in the beginning of October. And um, yeah, it's the last one. So if you're curious about this archetype and, um, you know, want a fluid experience of it, I would love to have you join us. I think that's all the things. Is that all the things? (laughs) Yes, I believe
0: so. (laughs) Those are the main ones. Yes. And then you can find all of her other books there and puzzles and Oracle decks. I was looking through it um, last night. I didn't even know you had puzzles. I was like, oh, that's so fun.
1: Yeah. I have been like bugging my publisher for a while now, um, trying to get like some other things that go with the books and um, the puzzles have been so much fun. (sighs) Oh. So much fun. If you like hard puzzles, the one for the crystallary is ridiculously hard. If you like easy puzzles, go for the one, go do the one for the herbiary, which is the one with the owl, but the crystallary is like a repeating crystal pattern. Oh It's a bitch. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I love it. I usually like every winter I try to do a little puzzle and I have a little tables since it's cold and snowy and
1: I usually like to do some puzzles. So I'll to check that out. Well, if you send me your address, I'll send you a crystallary puzzle and you Ooh. can um you can work on it through the winter. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it.
0: Well, I just have the one final question. And so we're going to kind of come into that intuition. So
1: um, what would you like this weekly challenge to be? Yeah. So, you know, I think that um working on your intuition can feel really daunting. Yeah. It's like, how do I develop this thing? And what intuition really is, is deep noticing. It's just Calling the things that normally are noticed by your subconscious to the surface. So, if you're interested in honing your intuition, spend a week really focusing on your deep noticing. And the way you're going to do that is every morning, you're going to choose one random thing that you're going to notice that day. So, it could be a color. You're going to say, I'm going to notice the color red today, it could be a shape. I'm going to notice circles today. It could be an animal. I'm going to notice ants today. Um, And then really challenge yourself to look for where this stuff shows up and to look outside the boxes. Like, you know, if you've challenged yourself to find ants, don't just stare at the sidewalk, you know, look to see um, if there are any ants on the billboards that, are going by as you drive down the highway. You know, do any ants appear in the TV show you're watching? You know, it's always fascinating to me when people do this, they're like, oh my God, I saw someone's t-shirt had that thing on it. Um, Someone had a hair clip, it was on a billboard. I saw it on the TV. Like there are all these instances um, where we see something that we don't even really register it because we're not looking for that thing in that moment. And so what this exercise does is it makes you aware of all the information that you're not actually clicking into, right? Because all that stuff is happening every single day. You're just not clicking into it. Um, It also starts you looking for patterns. And a lot of intuition is looking for patterns. So this is a great exercise to get you to begin to see when things are on repeat in your life. Mm. Oh,
0: I love it. And that's one thing I noticed of my pattern, or I guess what I've noticed in the last couple of days was riding the waves. And you happened to say that on the interview. And I was like, wow. That yeah. That is just nuts. Like that was my phrase yesterday. And so and I'm just like, wow, okay, clearly.
1: We're just still riding these waves. Yep. Yep. There's a there's a pattern in there that you're still in like you're in the loop of it. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so from an intuitive point of view, it's kind of like, okay, well, like, what does that mean? And how is that, how is that, um, segueing into your life? And then how does it help you to make decisions Yeah, moving forward? Like I'm in the pattern of riding the waves. So this big decision comes up. If I'm in the pattern of riding the waves and I have to make this big decision, what do I do? Yeah. Um, and that allows you to come from an intuitive place instead of um, just purely from like, you know, a weighing pros and cons intellectual place. Yeah. yeah. Mm.
0: Mm. Well, thank you so much, um, Maya, for your wisdom and um, sharing that challenge. I think that's a wonderful, wonderful way to people to tap into their intuition and their own intuitive knowing. So thank
1: you. You're welcome. Thank you so much for having me, Andrea. And neither of our dogs barked. We made I it. Know, oh, I know, I know. <laughs>
0: Oh, well, thank you again. And everyone go out there and spread your peaceful power.